Warning. What you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, did you read the back of the postcard? Yes. Okay, good. I enjoyed it. Good. Yeah, it was good seeing you the other day, a couple days ago. <laughs> I love how you said that in your podcasting voice. I'm transitioning. <laughs> it was good seeing you uh, in IRL, and uh, uh, I think the fans are really going to love hearing about it. <laughs> oh, they're gonna they're gonna love it. They're gonna they're gonna be really into it. Um, no, it was good to see you. It was the first time I've, we've seen each other in almost two years. Yeah, which is crazy. It didn't. Now we're, it, it didn't feel like it, but it did. It was like a yes. real strange scenario. Now we're back to just recording remotely. This episode. A I actually days later. prefer it. It's easier. I like just staring at my wall while I talk <laughs> to you. <laughs> well, it's also too. It's like I just worked out. I so now I didn't have to like take a shower or get dressed yet. I'm just like going straight into it. My adrenaline's all pumped up, so I'm going to have lots of energy today. I just had a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. Probably going to shit my pants here in a second. We can have our, no. our stuff, like if you need your phone or like a laptop to look up Wikipedia, like we don't have to, you know, sort of set up the equipment and all that. It would be cool to yeah. have like a little, like a small like studio space or something to do it in, but. If we had that, like the designated space, yes, yeah. but we don't because we're not, you know, uh, millionaires yet or even hundred thousand years nope not even close um no it was really good to see you it was fun it was it's nice that we waited till uh the emergence of the scariest COVID, scarcely named covid variant to decide like this is the good time to meet up yeah what do you think the, about the, this? Me- the megatron variant is here yeah. to exterminate the the autobots i i think of it more of like the evil corporation, like the Kronos Corporation, the Omicron Corporation. Oh, yeah, definitely. A sinister old man pulling the strings behind the scenes. But, Omicron um, consumer products. We'll see how that goes. By the time this this uh, episode's out, we'll probably be all be dead anyway. So For the memory whatever. of a lifetime, Omicron, Omicron, <laughs> <Jesus> Omicron. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a fun movie today, you know, oh, after... Man. It's After, the holiday season. Yeah. We took uh, a little break for Thanksgiving to stuff mm-hmm. our bellies and raise our blood gravy levels up to their absolute limits. But now it's time to talk about mistletoe and flocked trees and cocoa by the fireplace, all that mm-hmm. shit. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's right. And I mean, you know, if you listen to our last episode, we made it very clear that this, you know, is not a horror movie podcast. A lot of people think it is because we do talk about a lot of genre films, but it's an all movie. It's an underrated, it's a forgotten movie podcast. So after that, after that big explanation last time, here we are back with another horror movie. You're goddamn right. We're we're putting that to rest with clear, uh, indisputable proof that this is not a horror movie podcast. And it's Actually, not, no- it's not, goddammit. Actually, this movie really isn't a horror movie. It's more of a thriller, you know. Uh, there's some horror elements to it. It's more of a not a who done it, but a who did do it, which is different. Like a who done it, everybody's a suspect, and in a who did do it is like who's the suspect? We gotta find a suspect. 
Um, we're doing a little movie called I Am Not a Serial Killer from 2016, starring Christopher some, Lloyd. Yeah, Christopher Lloyd and some wiener kid. It's His name is Max Records. That's his real name. <laughs> Max, Mac, full name, Maximum Records. He's been in like three movies. This, I think he retired from acting after this because he was in, I looked at his IMDb and he has nothing else. It makes perfect docket. sense because goddamn, where do you go after this? Where do you go I mean, from here? His first big movie was, uh, he was in The Kid and Where the Wild Things Are, the, the live action movie. Oh my God. And then he was one of the little kids being babysat in that Jonah Hill movie, The Sitter, which is basically just Adventures of Babysitting. That's so funny. I just added that to one of my one of my movie cues to watch as like a palate oh, really? cleanser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, after watching this serial killer movie, I better watch The Sitter. That's so funny that he's the kid from Where the Wild Things Are. I could not, I absolutely could not stand that kid. They're, they gave me like, I think one moment during the climax where I was finally on his side and on board but the rest of the movie i was like i hope these monsters tear this kid limb from limb i mean that's kind of way i felt about the entire movie i wanted the the, the eat the kid and then eat each other i mean that movie had like great puppets and set designs and whatnot but oh man i was not into it yeah it really is like taking a premise and stretching it Mm -hmm. like bare thin yeah unfortunately yeah, it could have been great, but oh well, who cares? So who directed that? Spike Jones. Spike Jones, legendary skateboard filmer, Spike Jones. That's right. Who brought you such films as uh, Girl Skateboards. Yeah, right. Wait, is that a real thing? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, he was like big. Making... He was big in the. He shot photos for lots of skateboarding magazines in the early. I knew 90s that, and, and like, yeah, and then he did like the Beastie Boys thing, and. Yep, directed some skate videos also, and. Uh... Yeah, they moved on to films and uh, directed. What's that uh, fucking that movie where a guy, the guy marries a computer? Oh, her. Yeah, right. Yeah, I didn't see that one. I haven't seen it either. It looks. I thought it looked pretty stupid. Yeah, same. Um, I liked it but, better when it was Blade Runner. You know. Oh, absolutely. When it's a robot who doesn't know he's a robot marrying a computer. Yeah, that's much better. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, so this movie is from, it's, like I said, it's uh, directed by some guy from Ireland named Danny O'Brien or something. Seamus O'Shaughnessy. Something like that. <laughs> Who doesn't really have, like, uh, you look over his filmography and it's nothing, like, that would get me excited about a director other than this movie. Uh, let me see. He's directed stuff, you know, like one of those things like sci-fi type movies or like prehistoric jungle uh, tarantula shark. Uh, let's see. Ferocious Planet is one he's directed, which the poster for that is a mutated uh, T-Rex chasing a couple people. So, you know, he's got that going. It's in the Maneater series, is what the poster says. And then a couple, like, very genetic, generic-looking horror movies called, like, Isolation and... Skintilla, Skintilla, and then this movie, which is, in my opinion, great. Uh, it's based on a book by an author named Dan Wells. I have not read the book, so I can't tell you about the book. It would appear, throughout my research, this is kind of a, a popular book, 
or at least it, yes, it's it, a, it had a, a a moment in time where it was extremely popular. It's a series. There's like six books in the series or something. Holy cow. So let's give a little synopsis. Now, I'm going to say this, too. The chick, the kid just goes from town to town. Like He's like, why does this keep happening to me? Why does everyone <laughs> think I'm a serial killer? Because I, I torture animals and threaten people's lives? I swear, <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> um, I'll give a little synopsis right here. I'm going to say the synopsis is not going to give away any spoilers or anything like that. It's going to be very brief. But as our show is always spoiler-heavy... This movie is something I think the, is best if you're going in as little about knowing as little about as possible. So if this seems like a movie you want to watch, uh, watch it before you listen to the show. If you don't care, just listen to the show and then watch it. Yeah, just turn the show off right now. Just forget the whole thing. I actually go yeah. no, don't turn off the show, but go listen to like uh, a different episode. Maybe try our episode on Youth and Revolt or. Maybe revisit uh, Trashoween, the two-part epic, Trashoween and Trashoween oh, yeah. Kills, if you're still sort of clinging to October and the fall. Or maybe check out uh, one of the uh, the comedy classics like Trash Heap Goes to Summer Camp. That's a, oh. a real can't miss. And that, yeah, an absolute classic is right. Oh, and Predestination. Oh, Predestination, for sure. I think that is... I mean, just watch that movie. Even yeah. if you don't listen to the show, watch that movie. Um, anyway, so this the basic premise of the show is you have this kid named John who's a diagnosed sociopath living in a small Midwestern town in the wintertime, and there's some killings happening. There are pe- people's bodies are showing, being show, uh, showing up murdered, and he starts taking it upon himself to investigate and try and figure out who the killer is. That is the basic premise of the movie. Um, you While can watch convinced, the tr- oh, convinced. While convinced that he is indeed not the killer. Correct. Despite all evidence to the contrary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is the basic premise. Go ahead and watch the trailer. The trailer doesn't give away any port- important details, but don't read anything about the movie. Um, if you're going to watch the movie before listening to this podcast. Um, that being said, from here on out, the, there are probably going to be spoilers. It's so all spoilers. I remember when the trailer came out and watching it mm-hmm. because there is something about that title that actually really rubs me the wrong way. Okay. Like, I'm not against sort of verbose, long-winded titles. I think uh, those can be pretty cool and unique in a lot of ways. But in this case, I thought it was pretty generic and kind of clunky. And so when watching the trailer, I was like, oh, I bet this is just some dumb, like, uh, everyone thinks he's the killer, but he doesn't think he's the killer, but he's actually probably the killer. And it's uh, he just is, his perception of reality is skewed, and he's an unreliable narrator. And that's it. Hmm. I was like, I know, I know what's going to happen in this movie. I would never watch this stupid movie. I saw Christopher Lloyd on the movie poster with his big stylized illustrated head. And I was like, why is he in this stupid movie? I'll never watch this. And then fast forward to the year 2021. And uh, here we are. I've watched this movie. See, I had a very completely different reaction to the title and the trailer. I thought the trailer, the title was just fine. I wasn't like falling over for it. I wasn't like, oh my God, this is the best title of a movie ever. But I enjoyed it. And uh, the trailer got me instantly interested in the movie. 
in fact, lots of times I'll watch a trailer for something. I was like, I should watch that sometime. And then two, three years later is when I actually get around to doing it. I watched it like that week. Holy shit. Yeah. And I guess what, guys? I loved it. I'm going to sing the praises of this movie thoroughly throughout this podcast. This is one of my favorite movies in this like kind of mini genre of uh, trying to, you know, regular person or I mean, regular person, I mean, like their job isn't to investigate murder, uh, investigating a murder. And also probably one of my favorite movies of the past, like five years or so. So there you there you go. So you are a proponent of underqualified people solving crimes. I'm a proponent of that happening in movies or just mysteries. Mysteries, like yes. getting I, the answers, but not necessarily being able to do anything about it. Right. Yes. <laughs> I I enjoy it. I enjoy when when like the when the people go like mm, I think there's something fishy with my neighbor. And they start snooping around. Oh, I do like the neighbor snooping. Yeah, I will. I will go for that dumb scene where they go into the somebody's house oh while they're God. away, and it's the countdown until they come back, and things yes. go haywire. <laughs> what if you? What if you watched a movie where they did that and they just left and everything was fine, and then you like uh, does like a wipe to nightfall, and that's when the neighbor comes back, and he's like, hmm, "Everything looks normal here. I don't think anyone broke into my house." Yeah, there was just plenty of time for them to get in and get out comfortably. Yes, like the ten- <laughs> like the tension is is that actually never happening? <laughs> so I don't know. What are your What are your initial impressions when you first started watching this movie, Keith? Well, here's the thing. I like weird movies. I like oddball movies. I like incompetently made movies. Right off the bat, this movie absolutely lost me. That's insane. Because the opening scene is... This movie shot on 16-millimeter film to start off. Yes. Which is not a bad technique per se. Like, it's a very common thing, or it used to be a common thing. You shoot on 16-millimeter, and then you blow it up to 35 to mm-hmm. so you can project it on a screen. And it's super grainy, and it looks photographed and all that. I don't know if it works in this case, but it does give off a a vibe of like like Kevin Smith like clerks in the 90s like art art film school type vibe like independent film like i i i summed this movie up as oh i remember you called it a Werner Herzog's lost goosebumps episode because which... that's what it felt like to me it felt like an art film it almost felt like it was operating under a set of rules, like the like the Dogma 95 manifesto or something. Like, everything has to be found where it is. It has to be shot with natural light. There's no script. All that kind of, like, wacky... You see, like, when you say Werner Herzog's presents Goosebumps, like, I am all in just at that <laughs> statement. I would drop whatever I'm doing to get to watch that. Is that a testament to this movie, though, or to me as a someone carving out interesting phrasing and <laughs> language? Both. I mean, like, like I said, like whether that was an actual thing, like, did you hear Werner Herzog's making a Goosebumps uh, a movie, or you're like, this movie's like, if Werner Herzog made a Goosebumps movie, I'm leaving everything I'm doing to watch that. Movie. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you say that about like the look of the film and stuff, because the first note I have here in my notes is. 
feels like a movie from the 90s if movies from the 90s were good. Well, the, open, like... the opening moment features like a really bad, like like the, the audio and the the character talking is out of sync. And so immediately mm. I was like, what, what are we doing here, guys? I mean, that happens in big budget movies even, you know? It like... does, but this was like the first scene and I was like, hey, sure. fuck you. Like, you should have just like cut it or something. I don't know. Then I don't know. Things I think... go wrong and I'm willing to forgive mistakes, but like I was trying to like, watch this movie and they just were like sorry kid well i think in that respect though kind of the uh the low budget look of it and it's not like the modern low budget look which just feels like something was shot on your phone which is a lot harder to get into particularly if it's a serious movie but just kind of like the grainy documentary-esque you know yeah uh, and it does get better it does get a lot better there are some pretty cool shots at some point nothing i would really call too kind of striking or memorable though there there might be a couple i think that's purposeful though i don't think this is supposed to even though the movie is they make a stylistic choice to film it in this way i wouldn't call it a stylized movie other than the fact that it's using like a slightly outdated method of filming yeah uh it's supposed to feel i think very like uh, you know, personal and, you know, grounded. And, and I think with the, the grounded aspect and like the, ha- the handheld, the documentary, semi-documentary-esque, and I'm not saying this is a pseudo-documentary film or anything like that, but just kind of like that, like close-up camera, you know, uh, moving around, no dollies and stuff like that. That grounded reality, I think, really helps later on when we when the movie kind of transitions into a different type of movie that we didn't know we were watching. Yeah, it's supposed to be like dull and banal and like a character study of someone kind of living in this drab day-to-day existence but with this this sort of problem looming on the horizon kind of hanging over his head all the time. Right. So I think it's it's fine. Yeah. I'm just being a jerk, you know? I, oh, totally. I just hate movies, and I don't like watching them, and I don't like talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how the tables have turned. So, yeah, it immediately lost me with the bad, like, ADR stuff, but uh, I was willing to, you know, to give it a whirl and see what it's all about and, and finish the movie. And uh, overall, I would say it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of tough to get through. Not in the same way, though, like um, similar movies. Because there's lots of movies that are, are like this. Like, oh, look at this ho-hum, like boring, you know, lifestyle. Like a character gets up and goes to work at a grocery store and just like bleh, everything's flat and lifeless until right some kind of a transformative event occurs. But it does lack a certain kind of day-to-day interest, but there are kind of, it's like for a stretch, it really does have nothing going on. And then something happens to like, really like spike the needle um, and, and kind of create some tension and excitement but then it like goes back down again until like you said like there's a point in the movie where sort of the mine cart kind of goes over the crest of the track and you know is out of control 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely think this movie is a slow burn, but I would disagree that there's nothing going on. I mean, the movie starts out uh, a, with a murder scene, you know, like Max is riding his, not Max, that's the actor, John is riding his bike and comes across like the police tape and uh, some guy who's been brutally murdered in this middle of town. Uh, and then we kind of, the, the, the story kind of unravels from there and it takes its time, even though it's not a very long movie. Um, but I think, yeah, for as, for as deliberately paced it is and of so much of a slow burn it is, it doesn't really like linger in any one spot for too long. As far as I'm concerned, it's like each scene kind of progresses, uh, pretty evenly to the next. And that's not to say this movie doesn't have its flaws. There's a couple things in here that like, really stick out like th- sore thumbs to me or just the execution wasn't perfect, but as an overall movie, I think this movie is really unique and I don't know I've never seen a movie quite like it I've seen plenty of movies that have a similar type of premise of this like oh I'm, I'm a you know like the, the person who has bad thoughts and but is the good guy like De- think like crap like Dexter and shit like that and plenty of things where uh the tw- like even the twist that we come upon later is like there's elements of that in other movies but I don't ever don't think I've ever seen it quite put together this way and executed this way. And I don't think generally when you have this character like this, who is like this alleged sociopath who everyone thinks should be the killer, but is not, I don't think there is thoughtfully written as uh, the character of John is in this. Because one, for one, I'm going to say, I don't even think that he is an actual sociopath. And I don't think that he is as i mean he clearly has issues i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say he's just a regular fine you know well-adjusted kid but i don't think he is what the perception of the people around him is like even remotely when i wonder too if it's within that world if it's it's his responsibility like if he maybe he's not communicating his thoughts and feelings in a right a, a more a, proper articulated way i did think the the therapist mm-hmm. was a really cool addition the way he met with the therapist in kind of random locations and never went to an office right. and at, at, actually at one point it made me think that the the therapist was actually just a figment of his imagination until like you know reality kind of comes colliding in with that relationship and and confirms that he is indeed a real guy but so it's almost like all these other movies that like have these similar setups and like you said like is max the actual killer and he doesn't even realize it it's possible like is it possible you took some of like your expectations from the way those movies played out and brought them to this oh definitely i was i was 100 percent. i was like oh it's one of those movies where he's just he's convinced that he is he's he knows he's sick but he's not that sick and all this other stuff is someone else, and he's going to figure it out. But over the course of figuring that out, he falls into the trap of committing these acts. And then mm-hmm. at the end, he's going to look around and be like, oh, my God, it was me all along, and I just didn't realize it. Yeah, totally. And I'm like, that's where this movie... So I had a lot subverts, of baggage. <laughs> yeah, subverts a lot of those expectations. And in terms of him being like... You know, obviously, we get we start the movie, find out right away that he's into dark stuff. He's interested in serial killers. He works at a his family owns a like a morgue. You know, his mom is a mortician and helps her, so he's surrounded by dead bodies all the time. 
Um, and he's presented as this character who lacks emotion and is violent or has violent tendencies and all this stuff, but kind of as... Or even just the early, potential for those Potential, those right. Yeah. Pretty much throughout the movie, like, we have contradictions to those things. And even when he does kind of act them out, I think there's generally fairly good reasons. Like, there's an opening scene where he's at lunch with his friend and they're talking about serial killers. And then, like, some kids come up and start harassing him and throwing food in his face. And you see him clench his fork and, like, scrape it against the bottom of the table and wanting to do something violent. But it's like, what's what's happening in this scenario? He's minding his business at lunch. A bunch of kids come up, call him a freak, and assault him. And of course, so of course he wants to do something violent back. But this isn't this a classic situation of where like a kid's being bullied and then the, because he's weird and then he gets blamed. So the weird kid get, gets weirder, you know? Yeah, exactly. And they, they talk about how he has the, uh, you know, like the three, like three early warning signs of characteristics of a serial killer. That was such a wild moment when they, they didn't even like... Like, I would imagine a therapist or a counselor or someone relaying that information but not framing it that way or, like, just right. blatantly saying, like, you're on track to become a serial killer. That's a weird thing to say to a kid. Right. Well, I mean, also, I, it's, I, I understand it's, it seems like it's not the first conversation they had, and it's a weird thing to say to a kid, but even the therapist who's like, I think a thoughtful guy at lots of times, I think he's even misinterpreting things, you know? Yeah. And like you said, maybe uh, John isn't communicating well enough. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But he talks about the, like those say things was like being interested in fire, uh, bedwetting and animal cruelty. And we actually never see him commit animal cruelty. He, cruelty. He mentions that when he was younger, he learned that animal cruelty was wrong you know, and what kind of animal cruelty was he committing? You know, was he stepping on bugs? Was he like a little kid who like thinks a hamster is a toy? I'm not trying to overly defend him. I'm just saying like throughout the movie, he's presented in a manner in which he doesn't actually act just because he seems to be weird. Yeah. It's almost like they he's communicated so many of these thoughts and, right. and and talked spoken to everyone in such a way that they're more convinced of his potential than is the reality. Right. And he's been told so many things. He's just like, okay, I'm a sociopath. That means I don't have feelings. Yet he shows feelings and empathy throughout the entire thing. You right. Know? I do and... like that they went in into such depth explaining that. Like, as far mm-hmm. as exposition is concerned, like... I think it was kind of critical to really be specific about what those terms mean and not just yeah. in the in the movie sense, like in the real sense, in order to ground the reality of everything. Absolutely. And it's like this character, we know that he's been a, like abandoned by his father and he has an absent father. His mother is completely well-intentioned, but also herself not great at communicating things. Um is he hasn't been given the proper tools? I don't think at any point in his life to communicate, and even his older sister, you know, uh, who's doesn't live with them, but like shows up periodically. Like she seems to be acting out in another way that's a much more acceptable type of uh, 
behavior. Like she still kind of comes across, even though she's obviously in her twenties, comes across as like a rebellious teen to a, a certain extent, and seems to be into like alternative music rather than dark, dark imagery and and whatnot. Yeah, her uh, reaction to all the chaos and and disharmony in the family was like, "Fuck this, I'm out of here." Exactly. And there's even that scene later on in the movie where, you know, him and his mom are arguing, and he pulls a knife, right? And did he pull the knife because he wanted to hurt her or did he pull the knife because that's the expectation of him and she, he's communicating to her in a way that she will understand him because she thinks that he is someone who wants to hurt people. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like he can say like, mom, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm that. And if she's ignoring that, at what point does he become frustrated and go like, okay, well, I, I know that if I do this it'll get the result I want because yeah. this is my the expectation of me. When he, then he feels remorse, right? Because he's like, this isn't what I want to be. This isn't what I want to do. Exactly. And it's like, he's just been told that he's these things so many times. He's like, well, I guess that's what I am. And I'm going to have to try and do all these things, you know, to not be that way. But if he was that, why would he even care about not being that way? There's this contradiction in his character. And, there's a review on RogerEbert.com. It's not by Roger Ebert because Roger Ebert is dead when by the time this movie came out. Um, but the review is from someone else. And the first thing it says is... Da, 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 sorry, my webpage is reloading. I'm not entirely convinced that the makers of, of the pseudo-psychological thriller I Am Not a Serial Killer know the difference between a cold sociopath and a garden-variety adolescent. I would say they certainly do, and you don't understand... I'm not convinced that you know the point of the movie, uh, Simon Abrams. Well, get him. I did. I just fucking did. <laughs> I mean, to me... Even when we get into the, like the actual killings and him investigating the murders and him talking, being intrigued by the killer, it seems like he's more interested in the mind of a killer than the killings themselves. So how does that make what? How does that make him different from a psychiatrist? You know, and what the, and the way other people react to the murders in town, it's kind of just more like like oh here we go again type of thing. Like the mom says. They're watching the news and goes like, "Great, the last thing we need is a panic over a killer in town." And like she just takes it so, with so much lack of emotion, and she's just like, "I'm just watching a news thing. There's no connection to reality to her." And he goes, "I think the last thing we need is the killings." <laughs> oh my God, the real sociopath was us all I along. Mean, <laughs> I mean, it, that scene could be a little heavy-handed, but it is kind of played for comedy. No, I don't think that's the. So I don't think that's the takeaway. I'm just yeah. uh, just riffing on it. Yeah. I do Wait, really I like this scene though. Here's the thing with the this whole uh serial killer business too is when uh our hero has a face off with his bully at uh, like a school dance or whatever. Oh yeah, this is a great scene. It's one of the best scenes in the movie and he just lays it out for this bully. He's like, "Listen, guy, you understand like what I am and who I am. Like I'm a monster. I don't see you as a person, like as a complex being with thoughts and feelings. I, you're like a, a box, like a cardboard box to me. 
and he just explains like how his mind works and what he's all about. And it's done with such confidence and it, it really fulfills the promise of like, Oh, this guy could be the uh, killing machine. Look out. Cause he, right. he's not existing on the same plane of reality that everyone else is. But there's an element to it. That's very performative. Almost like oh, he's rehearsed yes. it over and over again, like waiting mm-hmm. for a moment like this so that he could shine. Absolutely. I, once again, that's, I think that's like he's playing off people's expectations of him. Yeah. And I think he believes those expectations to a certain degree because he's been told it so much by his mom, his therapist, everyone at school. You know, he's like, I guess that is what I am. Yeah, and that's um, why later on you're you're sort of questioning and he's questioning too. He's like, Oh my god, like could this really be me? No. It's gotta be this other thing, this absurd thing. No matter how, that's the funny thing is it's the opposite of the, uh, what is it, the Occam's razor? Mm -hmm. It's the exact opposite, like the, you know, the conclusion, no matter how ridiculous, uh, it's got to be the logical one, right? Or the most obvious one. But in this case, it is, it is, but it, in addition to it being the most obvious one, it's, it is the most ridiculous Mm -hmm. possibility. Which kind of takes us should we to like the big reveal I guess in this movie is so he starts investigating he starts he thinks it's kind of this he has a suspect in mind this drifter guy he's been following around who he catches like peering in windows and taking knives out of the trash can he's like it's got to be this guy and then he he's following him around and sees him kind of start following Christopher Lloyd's character who's just his, his elderly neighbor. Yes, nice old man, feeble, whatever, and he follows them, and there he goes. There looks like they're gonna go. He's because he, they strike up a conversation on the street. The old man and the drifter, and he's like, oh, "I'm going ice fishing." He was like, "Oh, I've never done that. Can I? Can I come with you?" And he's like, "Sure." So John is convinced that this is the killer, and they get out there onto the ice. John's hiding in some bushes far away, watching. And at this point, you kind of feel like he's in a little bit over his head. Like he's kind of realizing he's in over his head. He's like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like I was like, I, I can't intervene. And, but I also can't just watch a killing happen. And you see the drifter does take out a knife and looks like he's going to stab Christopher Lloyd's character in the back. But then we realize that he wasn't the main killer. He wasn't the guy doing all the killings. He was just kind of an opportunist guy in this moment, probably trying to rob Christopher Lloyd. And then something happens. Christopher Lloyd turns around and kills the drifter, but he doesn't just kill him, does he, Keith? No, he doesn't. He transforms. His arm turns into some kind of, like, T-1000 venom, like, gnarled tree branch bladed construct in order to kill him. And then he consumes his the man's organs. He rips the man's lungs out of his chest and puts them inside of his own chest. Yeah. Now, what's unique about this Like scene, a Mr. Potato Head. Yeah. <laughs> I know those goddamn potato heads. Um, what's unique about this scene is the, this movie... Probably the transforming, I'd say. Yes, the transforming <laughs> is, is, uh, is rather unique. But, I mean, 
there's definitely movies before where it's like, oh, now someone's supernatural, blah, blah, blah. There is no indicator that this movie is not grounded in the world we live in. No, and that's why I immediately leapt to, to, like, jumped to the conclusion of, oh, he's hallucinating. This is his only only possible way to rationalize that extreme behavior. When he crosses the line, he has to make up this narrative where he's still the hero and still kind of uh, on the other side so that he doesn't have to feel guilty. Right. Um, But that's not the case. No. it's it's this is what this is what's happening and it's presented in this tone like i said like you up to this point there's nothing to suggest that we're dealing with anything supernatural at all in this movie and i remember watching this the first time when it came out several you know a handful of years ago me and francis were watching it together and we both kind of double taked and said like because it's it's a quick little like shot it's in the distance you're watching it in the distance yeah there's no build up there's no like music there's no, no. Like, it's very much, like, on pace with everything that's already happened. Totally. And we both looked at each other and were like, did that Did that just happen? And we rewound it and watched it again because it was just so out of the... It was such a, it was such a jarring twist, you know, where it's like, I did not... See, you know, people say, I didn't see that coming. And it's like, but you're not really that surprised at the same time. Like, I was genuinely shocked uh, at the twist in this movie. And it did not feel, as far as, like, oddly out of place as it is, or out of the blue as it is, it doesn't feel out of place. And the movie is so grounded that... There's not a tonal shift when this happens. We go forward from this moment, and it doesn't. It still doesn't seem like an overtly supernatural movie, even though you end up you end up finding out that this Christopher Lloyd is like a demon that's thousands of years old who consumes other humans' body parts to survive, and like has taken over another person's body, and then as he starts to wear out, he can swap pieces out with other people. And it's just kind of this outlandish thing that just kind of seems completely like run-of-the-mill, mom-and-pop, steak-and-potatoes, Century's Demon. Yeah, it really is like pretty cohesive. And like I said, that's one of the reasons that I I stuck to my guns all the way until the end. I was like, no, the twist is still coming. No, the twist is still coming. It was him all along. Like, this is just a figment of his imagination. Like, I get it. I see where this is going. And, uh, yeah, to the to the filmmaker's credit, it uh, even, even the weird effects and gore and everything still remains cohesive, which is pretty... Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of, kind of shocking, especially when a lot of it is, you know, CGI and mixed with practical effects and things like that. It's pretty interesting. Here's something shocking that I discovered uh, after watching this the second time is when at the end of the movie where you see the reveal of the demon in its full form, that's not CGI. I could see that. It's a, it's a little puppet that was shot on a green screen and then inserted oh, to be they, much they, larger. They, they took the little puppet, they made it big, like the size they of did. a man. Yeah, <laughs> I, thought it was, I thought for sure it was CGI. But yeah, it's very shiny. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it looks good, but it's like, I would just assume that, like, it's obviously not a person in a suit, and it doesn't, 
and it's shot in a way that like you can't really shoot a puppet, you know. Yeah. If it, if, if if it's on set, you know. So I miss me for that. I was just like, okay, it has to be CGI, but it's not. Yeah, and there's got to be. I feel like at least one or two of the attacks where the arm transforms and whatever have are. That's certainly like a CGI. Yeah, effect. it's got to be. But yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. And I think the the real reveal of the creature is interesting, and it is a unique look and. That whole moment at the end in the climax is is like definitely one of those like let me just sit here and watch this like it is very yeah. captivating. Yes. Um, also, Christopher Lloyd does a great job. I'd love to hear the story of how he got involved in this movie and what he thinks. Like, I tried to find some interviews and stuff, but there wasn't really anything. But I'd love to hear. There's very little like making of or like. Yeah, just nothing. Type of stuff. Yeah. Nothing. And even like trivia and backstory and things like that. But it's cool that Christopher Lloyd was involved in this and it's cool that he he kind of stretched his wings cuz he got to be like a you know, kind of a, a mildly gruff but kind old man uh and then he takes the turn into he gets to I don't want to say ham it up, but he does like, he really leans into this sort of monster character and he's very menacing, even as just an old man, uh, kind of desperate to harvest these organs and keep his secret and make sure that this kid doesn't screw up his marriage. (laughs) I love that a demon's highest priority is the sanctity of his marriage. Well, I mean, that's one of the things that's so cool about not just the way the character is written, but the way it's performed. Christopher Lloyd is... I mean, I, I think we would both agree he's a great actor, but he was kind of a guy and, you know, had his, like, peak, like, from, you know, Back to the Future to the early 90s. Yeah, Camp Nowhere was was it. And he was just kind of like, oh, he's the, he's the wacky guy. And he's like, he's not just the wacky guy. Like, he plays every character he plays the way it should be. And he brings a lot of nuance to the character and the way that, I mean, the character is not just a one dimensional, like I'm an evil demon. I eat, I consume human body parts. Even a lot of the people that he kills, sometimes it's opportunistic or sometimes it's because it's like, well, if I don't kill this person, they're going to find out who I am. But then like the guy, when he goes and gets new legs, you know, it's the barber who's been flirting with his wife. Yeah. And even that scene, like you don't see him remove the legs and put them on, but you see him staring at the legs, dancing with his wife, and then you see him take the barber into the back room, and you hear the barber dying, and he just comes out with the new legs, and the way he just kind of, like, steps up and down, like someone trying on a new pair of shoes. Yeah. It's so, like, it's such a little touch, but it's so natural, and it gives, like, a sense of feeling to to this, you know, to him, and it's like, and then the, the that scene where he kind of talks to... Uh, John about love and like that poem and he goes that's when I realized you know that there you know the first time I felt something beyond myself and he and he goes I haven't killed anybody in a long time up until this moment because normally he would just take over bodies and trade lives drifting around the world but like he's been staying in this one so long and that's why he's killing again is because he needs new body parts because he's dying and he just wants to stay with his wife so it's not it's not it's not just like this shallow one-dimensional character and like then at the same time obviously like him going around and killing human beings is bad from our perspective but from if you're a centuries-old demon who that's the way you survive is that a i mean like isn't that somewhat objective like 
other animals eat other animals. We eat animals, you know? Uh, yeah, there's a savagery to the killings, but at the same time, he's not sort of reveling in it. It's, there's no, there's no, it doesn't seem like there's any enjoyment. No, he's it. not like yeah. cackling and like, you know, like licking his lips and things like that. You know, it really is like a survival thing. He's just doing what he needs to do to survive. He doesn't necessarily feel like a ton of guilt or remorse, but it, yeah, yeah. it just is what it is. Or like when he buy when he kills the drifter, he goes like, I bought you a goddamn hat because like the drifter was about to stab him. Like, if the drifter hadn't tried to stab him, would he have even take, decided to take that particular guy out? Who knows, yeah. you know? Yeah, um, and that's what's interesting about their dynamic, uh, uh, the dynamic with the old man and the, the kid is that uh, despite, you know, being a sociopath and you know, being this sort of... An alleged the, sociopath. Yeah, on the path to being a serial killer, he sure has like a moralistic take on the circumstances like he really is imposing this like you can't go around killing the people in my town they're just innocent people i gotta stop you yeah for someone who supposedly like you know feels no empathy and sees people as you know cardboard boxes and things like frequently puts himself in danger trying to intervene yeah you know in in the killings feels remorse when he uh you know there's that whole uh calamity with the old man's wife where he hits her on the head and uh, oh yeah he's he's clearly is not happy with the outcome he is upset right. and scared and does not feel good about what he's done so i mean even when even after he discovers that his old elderly neighbor is the killer he still has some form of affection for him and his wife like he goes over he before the movie happened he would help them out with things like you know he would help them around the yard and do stuff. You know, he had uh, a fondness for them and a, and a and a genuinely helpful personality. And later on, he's helping the old man take a take a bath and go to the bathroom, you yeah. know? And it's like, you, it's, you could say you could play that scene where he's trying to, like, find out more about him, but that's not really how the, how the movie portrays it. It's just like he's, like, coming to terms with, like, well, this guy I've known my entire life is is an actual serial killer for completely different reasons than most. Um, and I do have an interest in that, and a, but also a desire to protect the people and to protect this old guy to a certain extent, you know, like it's coming to terms with how he feels about everything. Unfortunately, I feel like it's way more interesting to talk about what's happening than to look about at, at what's happening in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think that's where like my disconnect still kind of lingers because like as we're discussing the, all this stuff, I'm like, oh yeah, there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening. Yeah. But like I wasn't really totally tuned into it as it was happening, and but I wonder if it's because it, it was the way it was photographed or, or, I don't know. I don't know what it I mean, was like, that it was. There was just a, like a little thing kind of missing. Do you think if you went back and watched it again, because like as you keep saying, like you kept you kept expecting this movie to go down the some of the more traditional routes, right? Yeah, like from the onset, and even when like you you see this the shift, like where it's like he, like uh, Christopher Lloyd becomes the monster, like oh this just has to be his like uh, 
uh, John's imagination, and it can't be this, and it can't be that. So it's like, if that if those things were true, like you know, if that was what's going to happen, this would be a frustrating movie. You know, it's like yeah, every time it gives us something good, you have the expectation that they're ha- you're waiting for the other shoe to drop and for it to turn into just the normal, uh, you know, contrived, bland, rehashed idea. Um. Yeah, so maybe, I, I think you're right, though. It was kind of frustrating, and I was kind of, like, a little tuned out because I was just waiting for uh, the thing to happen that I thought was going to happen. And then when it didn't, I was I was definitely excited to see where it went, especially the funeral scene where... What happened? The old man shows up, and they kind of have a tense standoff. Right. Old man and little boy. And uh, then Christopher Lloyd starts coughing and maybe has a heart attack and just kind of sits there. And then the, right. ki- the kid like clocks up the church. Like, I was like, what is your intent here, young man? Are you just going to mm-hmm. like leave him in there to die? Is that what what is uh, happening here? And then he realizes that his mom is still upstairs and uh, right. Christopher Lloyd, I think, goes to attack her. Mm-hmm. And then they drag him to the... That's when this really, like, kicks off, is when they drag uh, Christopher Lloyd to the, uh, em- like, the embalming area. Yeah. And they start... They, they break out the... I don't know what that machine is called, but it pumps the uh, Pepto-Bismol into your body. Yeah. So that actually that is a great scene, um, but I do think one of the there's a few flaws in the movie that kind of do strike out at me, and no, I don't know if uh, I don't know if one of them's in that scene or not, or if I'm just being a little critical, because obviously her, the mom has been attacked by Christopher Lloyd, so she knows that he's not a good guy, but then when she wake kind of wakes up. And Max is t- tying Christopher Lloyd down. He's like, help me. She's like, okay, I'm helping you, right? Cool, whatever. And then he grabs, he's like going to embalm him when he's still alive. She's st- she's kind of on board. And yeah. she doesn't really know that he's actually a demon at this point. Uh, and I think he has, she has a little too much trust in him, given how, how little trust she had had in him up until that point. Yeah. Like maybe if we'd seen him do something like a little more inhuman right before that, she would be more on board to like, okay, whatever, like we just got to do this. But I, I can see her, I could see her being like, what are you doing? Like we have to call the police. Don't pump this living guy full of embalming fluid. <laughs> yeah. regardless, regardless of the fact that he just tried to like kill me. Young man, this is not justice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's a little thing, particularly you're dealing with like, like this like fast moving climax. It's, incredibly easy to overlook that. I'm just nitpicking it a little bit. The only other two things that really kind of like stand out to me is there is like that angry mob scene outside of the barber's house that's on the news. You know what I'm talking about? Oh my God. Like what the fuck is up with that scene? There's like, there's like a small handful of like humorous moments like that, that I was left scratching my head. Apparently the book is pretty funny. And has right. a lot more of that kind of offbeat humor. But yeah, in the movie, those moments stick out like a sore thumb. Although I did like the the character of that kid's, the uh, his friend's dad. Uh, yes. Like on Halloween, 
they're out there with the flashlights and stuff and like the dad is like thinks that they're gonna be murdered at any second right i thought that character was funny like i don't know that it was necessarily like appropriate <laughs> but i think that works he for was me. entertaining I mean, there's, there's comedy that certainly works for me in this movie uh that is just that is but yeah that that one with the mob it's just like the way it's filmed the way people are acting it feels like it's from like step brothers oh uh, yeah it's super wacky it doesn't make i'm just like it's so like head scratching like you said and then and then also like the the like kind of like pseudo rom i was not even going to call it a romance but just like flirtation between him and the neighbor girl yeah it's not I like the fact that it doesn't go anywhere, but I do think it needs more because it doesn't establish a good a good why. Like, why is she interested in him? She's, she doesn't seem to be the type of person who would be. And which, obviously, people can be attracted to people across against type. That's fine. But we never kind of get more than that initial just like, hey, what are you doing? You're cute. What are you doing? You know? Yeah. I feel like he was put in there as sort of like a psycho scenario. Like a mm-hmm. sort of a little like, oh, here's the uh, the female love interest kind of thing. Like, is he going to do something to her? Like, is she right. if she rebuffs him or like changes her mind about him? Like, is that going to set him off? I feel like it was right. just there for to create like kind of an extra layer of tension. What yeah, did she just... say to him after he tells off the bully and scares him off? She says something and then leaves and I didn't catch it. He like the the bully says calls says calls Mac like a freak or something. Yeah, and walks off, and she goes, "I don't think you're a freak," you know, which is a nice little moment. But then, but she also looks terrified as she's saying it. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, she could be terrified of the situation. You yeah, know? like, like what's going to happen? Is someone getting in a fight? Is someone going to get hurt? Whatever, blah blah blah. Yeah, it's just kind of from there. We never like it. Never kind of progresses past. We get that moment like three times in a row, type of thing. Yeah, and not that exact moment, away. but like, yeah, it's like, but that kind of same perception of what of what's going on. So once once again, maybe in the book she has a larger role. Also, the book is like a apparently a young adult novel. And um, while I would say this movie is totally fine for like a teen, young teenager to watch, I don't think it is. It kind of falls into that young adult category, you know, the movie itself. Yeah, it's kind of tough. It's in a weird spot. It and like like I said, like the tone of it, if it was a little more kind of like I don't want to say whimsical, but like a little more of a fun adventure yeah. instead of being so dark and bleak. You know, like like when they're embalming people, like lingering on those surgical shots and things like that. Yeah. If they had like you could definitely make some tweaks to it to make it more of a like a young adult thing, like um like maybe closer to like Disturbia. Right. Yeah, but you know what? I think that is one of them not doing those things is some of the stuff that may, really makes it work. You know, and like once again, haven't read the book, so I don't know how successful the book is, but the fact that it doesn't lean into that way, you know, one of the reasons why I really like this type of follow this particular version of the follow the killer type movie is so many other times in these movies the weirdo kid is weird because he wears he or she wears glasses you know oh yeah yeah they're like they're plucky kids and it's like you're weird because you have glasses but 
that's it, you know. And this per in this one, the per kid is actually weird. The there are actual consequences to oh, yeah, actions. Yeah, you wear that you know? fucking panda goon mask. Yeah, like what the fuck? It's fucking yeah. I thought Which that it, was actually a nice touch because it kept it really leaned into like, oh, like in all these other scenes, he's just wearing a hat, and then there's this like you cross this point in the movie and he starts pulling that mask down over his face while he's out at night in the cold. Well, and no, it, like, it really hints at something. Yeah, it doesn't, and he doesn't have that the whole time. Remember, he no. gets it as a, he gets it as a Christmas present. He's like, oh, cool. Like, how old am I? Whatever. But then he just wears it anyway, you know? Yeah, and the way <laughs> he pulls it down and everything and like, yeah, there's like a, a vibe to it. But going back to the uh, the sort of age of age appropriateness, I feel like despite like it not having that that kind of that ideal tone, I feel like kids are gonna. This will be one of those movies that kids seek out and kind of take ownership of, and they're like share with their friends. They're like, "Oh, you got to see this movie." I hope so. I you hope know? this movie, you know, like this movie received. It's the perfect like kind of cult movie yes. without being like necessarily like a like a splatter movie. But it is like, oh, have you seen this movie? It's so fucking weird. And like, watch this. Yeah, totally. It's like this movie received like, you know, fairly decent reviews. Uh, but it just seems incredibly underseen, you know. And it, I'm kind of surprised because it has been available on a lot of like streaming services over the years, like Netflix and stuff, that it wasn't one of those ones that maybe wasn't a hit the first when it came out, but like picked up steam over a year or two. Yeah, not under distributed. Because yeah. I've definitely seen it on multiple platforms. I'm pretty sure if, if it's not on Shutter now, it was on Shutter for a while. Yeah, um, I w- I know I watched it on Netflix. It was, yeah, and it had and it has the thumbnail is great. The poster is not generic. It's a good looking poster. But yeah, that's just the just the modern, you know, pitfall for a lot of movies is just just getting lost in the shuffle for maybe no good reason. Yeah. Other than like, unless it's like a hit. You know, when people are talking about right. it. Yeah, it would be nice if this movie took on a life of its own, you know, in the years to come. Yeah, I think it, it, as des- a, it deserves an, it. An artifact of the period, people would definitely be latching onto this because it really does stick out as something different. That's for sure. And it is, mm-hmm. it, it is, like I said, it is interesting. I didn't yeah. necessarily like enjoy it in the moment, but it's definitely fun to talk about and there's lots of cool ideas happening so well i sometimes like movies like that too where it's like you watch something you're like yeah it was okay and then you know a few days later you're like man that was was that better than i thought it was and then it just kind of like builds and on you and stuff like uh i've even turned movies off and i was like ah oh, this sucks and then like six months down the road i had like just an urge to revisit it and i was like oh wait this is amazing <laughs> So, you know, I went through that uh, the other night. I turned on a couple of movies just to to figure out what I wanted to watch. One of them was uh, The House on Willow Street. Oh, I don't know if I know that one. It's a horror movie where uh, these group of criminals kidnap a girl from a house and it turns out she's a witch and then Hmm. spooky stuff happens and the the art the poster artwork is very good and i remember watching the trailer and it's that whole like oh these criminals are just one last score until they can leave town and they got more than they bargained for and the 
the the kidnappy does the thing where it's like you need to let me go or you're gonna all die kind of thing yeah this post the poster is great yeah it's an awful terrible piece of shit movie <laughs> and i turned it off after about 20 minutes yeah i'm looking at like still from the movie and the movie doesn't look good but it the, is. the poster is fucking phenomenal yeah it is poorly written and it is pretty poorly shot and it's just i'd rarely turn off movies but i was like Ugh, get me out of here yeah so i'm not into this yeah but uh that seems to be a, like a running theme with like a lot of the recent movies we've talked about like Dark mm-hmm. Fate, for example, like just, you know, first watch, it didn't work. Second watch, oh, wait, I'm looking at this through a completely new new lens and it looks and feels different and I'm able to appreciate it for what it's doing versus like the baggage that I was bringing to it. Like it's super hard to go into a movie yeah. uh, without, especially when you're a movie person, you watch a lot of movies like you start clocking into the beats and be like, well, I've seen this before. I know right. exactly what's going to happen. I'm a movie right. person. Right. Yeah. Expectations. Uh, can really like throw a wrench in your viewing experience, you know? Yeah. Whether you come in with low expectations or high expectations. I've lately, like, I've gotten into like with- palate cleansers. So like all, yeah. I'll choose a movie that I'm like, I don't want to watch that. I would never watch that. Not in a million years, like, is that anything that I would ever feel like watching? But I'll give it a shot just to, like, get the taste of, like, say, genre films kind of out of my mm-hmm. mouth and, like, wipe the, sl- the slate clean. Right. And it, it actually works pretty well. Like, oh, I'm sure. like, oh, look at that, you know, that depressing-looking drama. Let me just sit through that just to, like, hit the reset button. Or look at that, like, shitty, like, uh, you know college sleazebag comedy let me watch that or you know anything like that and it seems to work pretty well yeah i think it's good to mix it up you know and uh it is very easy to get i mean get in a routine obviously like there's the things you like of course you know like but i don't i like pizza but i don't want to eat if i eat it every day i start to feel like shit you know (laughs) sometimes i just need a salad do you like deep dish pizza? Do you mean like like uh, the one where it's like basically like a pie of pizza fillings or where the crust is thicker? I Yeah, I'm not talking about like thick crust pizza. I'm talking about deep dish. Like it's fucking, it's practically lasagna. I saw a photo of a deep dish pizza and like, it, I think it was like an article like, oh, best places to get deep dish pizza in, in the Pacific Northwest or some shit like that. And I was like, at that point, you're just scooping marinara sauce into yeah. your mouth. Like, what in God's name? Someone Mar- please explain this to me. I am not into it. I'm actually, when it comes to pizza, my, you know, what is my biggest pet peeves is too much shit on top of the pizza. Uh, like if it's if there's too much cheese on the pizza, that ruins the pizza. The dough doesn't cook. It's soggy. You pick it up and it flops over. I can. There's nothing wrong with eating melted cheese and bread, but that's called fondue. It's a separate <laughs> dish. It's not pizza. I think t- toppings on pizza should generally be sparse. If, if the if the crust is thicker, yeah, obviously you can put a little bit more. But even then, like you can't go overboard. I hate picking up a piece of pizza and it's just flopping completely over, and you have to hold it with like three hands. Otherwise, it's just going to turn into a mess. Yeah, and then the, all the everything falls on like the whole 
like sort of layer of cheese and toppings just like slide off and fall on the floor. Oh my god, I fucking hate it. <laughs> At the risk of jeopardizing our friendship, I'm going to tell you right now, my favorite pizza of mm. all time is Totino's Party Pizza. You know what? It's practically a fucking cracker with pizza toppings on it, but I love it. While I don't agree with you, I can understand that. I'm not saying it's the best. I'm just saying it's my favorite. No, there's there's definitely a thing going on there where it's an there's an enjoyable flavor. It's easy to eat. It's, it's so easy com- to eat. It's fast to cook. It's yeah. small. It's a perfect snack. It's great. I I'm 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 not a uh, uh, I'm not going to criticize frozen pizzas. I definitely believe they have their time and their place. And I certainly more than just like that, what you're describing of the, the cheese bucket, cheese and sauce bucket pizza, Ugh. like not into that whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I would eat a Totino's before I'd eat one of those like <laughs> deep dish Chicago style monstrosities. Sorry to all you deep dish fans out there. Uh, if you can explain why there's any value to that style of pizza, I'm all ears. I'm not. I don't really care. <laughs> I'm just like, Perfect. get it out of here. Just go away. Like, I don't even want to try to understand. What you do care about, though, is serial killers. And in this movie, there are none. That's true. A, a demon doesn't count. And uh, this kid is 100% confirmed not a serial killer. Although that final scene where he he loads up the embalming tool with fluid and sort of forces the demon out of Christopher Lloyd's body is it's it is definitely reminiscent of Dexter. Yes, but I mean, here's my my thing with Dexter and, and a lot of those are ones I could never get into is because in Dexter he actually is a serial killer and he's like I take but he's got a code of honor. Yeah, but he's like, I take perverse pleasure out of these killings, and which you can have a protagonist that where that's the case, but it, they present him as the good guy, and he's not a good guy. He also you know? makes out with his sister at one point. Well, I mean, you know, so like he's a real weirdo. <laughs> he's already crossed some boundaries, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at that point, whatever. Yeah. Um, I never got into Dexter. Didn't enjoy it. But I enjoyed this movie, and I'm going to recommend it. I'm going to say, like, anything else I could say about it would probably just be more praise or giving away more details for you to discover for yourself, even though hopefully you watched the movie before listening to the episode. Um, High recommendation for me. Yeah, I even though I'm still kind of lukewarm on it, I do, th- I, like I said, I think it is interesting. I think it is worth a look. Like if you, you want to should... see something different and something that is unique, mm-hmm. on, on that level, I can definitely recommend it. I think you should watch it again. Wait, wait a month or two and give it another, give it another shot and see how you how you feel about it then. Because I think you might uh, be a little more fond of it in a second viewing. There's also things I picked up on, like little tidbits here and there at the beginning of the movie that kind of like suggest or reference something that happens later that I didn't obviously didn't notice on the first watch. So it's definitely one that like, uh, is worth your time to see twice. Begrudgingly. Begrudgingly. Okay. There you go. Well, 
that wraps this one up. This is actually the first episode of our end of the year uh, uh, holiday movies. <laughs> With a name like that, who could turn away? They, they, they go through Christmas, Thanksgiving, and Christmas in this movie. We see them both. We got some other stuff coming up to celebrate. And uh, you'll see those, or no, you won't, you'll hear them later in the near future. Yeah, we got some good seasonal vibes coming, some things that tie into the, the coming holidays and uh, the spirit of the season, the giving season. The witching season is over. Now it's time for the giving season, unfortunately, but we're going to do our best to help you guys get through it with some brand new episodes. Sorry we took a kind of a long break there, but, you know, there we had to recharge the batteries on. a little bit. And yeah. also, uh, like I said, our, our gravy levels were elevated, so we had to... So high. Had to purge that from our our bodies first. Mm-hmm. All right, well, I guess there you go. There you have it. Thanks for listening. And Keith? Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. And until next time, the dumpster is closed. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>